this week on the show. Today on the show, we have Jonathan Bonk with Bonk Home Buyers here in Houston, Texas. This is Steve Rosenberg, and you are listening to the Landlord Survival Show. This is the Landlord Survival Show. When people stop being nice and shit gets real. You're the landlord. We're here to help. This is a show for what the gurus don't tell you about owning rentals. We're here for you because we're stronger together. Brought to you by Empire Industries Property Management. Built for investors. By investors. For more information about this show, please visit our website, selfmanagemyproperty.com, home of the ultimate Landlord Survival Handbook. Now, the Landlord Survival Show with your host, Steve Rosenberg. Everybody, how's everyone doing today on this Tuesday morning? This is Steve Rosenberg. I am your host of the Landlord Survival Show. This is the show that we get real investors on. We always love talking about stuff that goes wrong, things that happen in their life. Um, Not that we want to enjoy some of their turmoil, but we like to hear kind of what the real investors are doing out there, not what the guru uh, are painting the the unrealistic picture of, we'll just say. Um, So we're going to talk about our guest uh, today, a good, good friend of ours. Um, First, I got to give a huge shout out to our friends at Property Meld. Uh, Property Meld is a company, good friends of ours. They gave me a free shirt. So when they give you a free shirt, you got to wear it on the air, right? That's part of the deal. So uh, I got to thank them. Good, good people. Uh, They've got a great... uh, I'm probably going to butcher what they do, but essentially we use them and a lot of big management companies use them to have the maintenance companies talk to the management companies digitally is probably the easiest way I could say it in, we'll call it nerd talk, right? Because Ray Hespin's a, a genius for creating this concept and he saw a need. He pounced on that need, and they are just smashing it. And uh, I don't know if it was Ray or his sister that uh, sent me the shirt. I know they sent it to me, so thanks, guys, for sending that to me. Um, And if I can get more, I will get them, and I will give them out. Um, So just about this show, let me just give everyone a quick update why we even have this show and why we created it. Uh, As many people may or may not know, Pete and myself, we are investors. We have gotten our asses kicked up and down the street multiple times on multiple city blocks, basically. And we've learned a lot of lessons. And uh, we've taken those lessons to heart. And we've taken those failures to heart. And we basically created a management company on those lessons and, you know, challenges that we've had along the way and, you know, turned those into some of our biggest success points to date um, because of the lessons. And, you know, we feel this is a way that we want to give back. We do the show. We created a website. Website is selfmanagemyproperty.com. I created a Facebook group, Landlord Survival Group, so that investors can go on there and talk about real challenges and issues about how do you deal with the eviction? You know, how do you, what is a make ready? I put a lot of stuff on there about what we do. We manage over a thousand properties and I give them the tips that we do because I think it's important to help people and give them what they want. Um, Obviously, as a management company, we want to manage your property. However, if you have the hours and time of day that you want to do it yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. My suggestion is if you do want to self-manage, whether you're here or you're in Australia or wherever in the world you may be, know what you're doing, run it like a business. We created a manual 
And the manual is called the Ultimate Landlord Survival Handbook. And the reason we created this is because so many people get sued or end up in some form of lawsuit or litigation because they don't run it like a business, they don't know the laws, and they don't know the philosophy behind whether you have one property or you have several like my guest today. Um, it is a business, and you got to run it like a business, and you got to make sure that whatever you're doing is on the up and up. It's, you know, it's, it's legal. It's correct. It's in the best interest of not only the investor, but it's in the best interest of the client because at the end of the day, what people seem to fail to realize is that when you own a rental property, you are in the people business. You are not in the four walls and a roof business, and it's a relationship. And, you know, everybody has different expectations of happiness. I tell people we have a thousand properties. We have about 700 owners and a thousand tenants, and we're married to each one of them. And our definition of happiness is what the law says. And they don't always agree with that. But at the end of the day, we want to do it to protect the best interest of the investor and make sure that we are looking out for them because we don't want to get them in a lawsuit. And we don't want to get them wrapped up in something. And sometimes that means making money. Sometimes it means not making money. But you got to run it like a business. So my guest today is a, a very special friend of mine. Uh, met him, gosh, I, I, how long ago did we meet, Jonathan? Probably five years ago, four and a half. Four and a half, five years ago. So about that time, I get this guy. I, I don't even know how he got my name. I, maybe from another client we were managing. And he says, hey, I want to come into your office. I want to wrap with you. I want to talk and get some some ideas. And so th this guy comes in, this stud comes walking into my office, sauntering in that he wants to get involved in real estate. He's been doing some stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of tell the rest of the story of, of how we met and what we did on that meeting. Yeah, no, I mean, I was a deer in the headlights trying to figure out what's passive income, how do you mailbox money, reading all these books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all these podcasts. And I stumbled upon you, Steve. I, I think we might have met at Bigger Pockets Forum, maybe something like that. I, I did. I think, like, yeah. Yeah, you were like, come in my office. I was 25, about to get engaged. I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I don't want to work in the corporate world so I'm 65. I want to build the side stream of income. Where do I start? And uh, you just kind of walked me through it, man. So I always appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you went from, you know, you're, you're the – you're the quintessential client, right, for us. You're someone that went from nothing and said, hey, man, just teach me. I just want to learn. Don't Basically, don't screw me over. Just be real. Spend some time with me. And you didn't even ask for time. I just said, why don't you come in my office and we'll talk. You were in Houston. I said, you know, this is not a yep. texting, email type conversation. This is something that we should sit down face to face. Let's let's wrap a little bit. Let's talk. And let's let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about why you're doing this, what the reason is. And, and then we'll kind of go yep. from there. And, and I remember we sat down and I remember we, we talked about all the five pillars of, of owning real estate. Um, and I know you, you, know, you, you had high aspirations of, of what you wanted to do and, and you're fulfilling those. And, and man, hats off to you because you, you're, you're a doer. I mean, you're, you're, one of the few, you're one of the few people in society, I would say in general, the, the top percentile that you're, you're successful, you're, you're a young guy, you end yeah. up getting married, so that's a plus. Now you got a family. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you're, hey. you're, you're getting stuff done, right? Yeah, I'll tell you this, Steve. Uh, a quote that I tell myself often that I heard, I forgot where, but it said, the real, the real measure of success is action. The yeah. real measure of success is action. Yeah, and it's... So it's I, uh, I try it, to do it. Well, and you know, it's funny because I, I remember reading a, a similar quote. It, it may have even been Grant Cardone or I don't know who, but it was like, mm -hmm. there's three degrees of action. There's no action. There's wrong action, there's right action, and then he said there's a fourth, and that's massive action. And every day you wake up, you make a choice 
to take one of those four paths. You you know, every morning it's a reset. It's like it's like in sales. Every morning, every month, you reset on your clock of how your sales are going to do. Every morning, like you said this morning, we were talking. I texted you at 5 a.m. I was already at the gym. You were telling me you were yep. journaling, right? We already we already chose yep. our day of how we were going to spend our day. And now it's just a matter of going, okay, how how are we going to to work our plan for the day, right? So Exactly. I mean, that's it. So too. I got a question. Let, let's just start with this. Tell everybody you you had a career. You have a career, right? You're 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 an engineer, yep, right? So, uh, marketing manager, oil and gas. Right. So. Same thing. Anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> to me, it's all the same, right? So yeah. tell everyone. W two. That's right. You're a W two, <laughs> right? J O B. So let, yeah. let's just let's talk about why you even chose real estate. Let's just start with that because there's a lot of people that. They want to be you. They want to be Jonathan. They go, man, how's this guy doing this? We'll talk about what you own asset-wise and stuff now. But you, yeah. you you, first had to make a mental decision of picking a lane of saying, I'm going to be Jonathan, the employee with a 401k. I'm going to be Jonathan with a job and you know uh, investments. Or I'm going to be Jonathan that quits my job, jumps all in and says, you know, screw the rest of the society. I'm in with the investor group. So you, at that point, you had to make a choice, right? Absolutely. And, and it would start with every guy coming out of college wants to make money. And so you think about being rich. And I, I learned as a young man at 22, 23, right out of college, there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. And so I started to define, well, what's wealth to me? And for me, it was time. Obviously, money's a piece of that flexibility, purpose. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted a family and entering the corporate world. I, I saw where these 55 year olds and 60 year olds were spending their time traveling. 80 hours in the office and flying, you know, to Asia. And I was like, man, I want to be with my family. There's some nonprofit things I might want to do. So I was like, how do, how do I pursue the wealth that I want to pursue? And so real estate kind of became that vehicle that I'm trying to execute on, you know, to create wealth for me and my definition of what wealth is. So what, what was it that, that you, you know, how did you even learn about real estate? Cause you're in college, right? You Louisiana, correct? You went to, Correct. LSU. LSU. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to Louisiana. Like what was there something there that kind of caught your eye in real estate or what, what was it? Well, so I didn't get into med school. And so that was the high hopes to be a doctor, make lots of money. And, and I graduated and I was like, all right, I got to get a job. And so, I mean, I was making 10 or $12 an hour with a college degree. And, uh, fortunately I got an opportunity to come to Houston pretty much right after I graduated and then started just to learn more about money, you know, did the Dave Ramsey stuff and, and financial management and started reading about investments and hearing this idea of passive income, residual income. And every book, every podcast that I read about residual passive income was like real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. And I was like, man, what is it with real estate? And so that's kind of how kind of fell on real estate as, as it's a vehicle to do these things. So when when you started realizing that, is that when you got on bigger pockets and other, you know, because when I yeah. when I was learning, that didn't ex you know, there was I hate to say it, that was like two thousand it was after nine eleven, you know, with being an airline pilot and all that. Um, but I started yeah. going, okay, I, I was actually going to the library. And I remember going to the library, getting books. And I, I'll never forget one time, you know, I, I wish that the, the online world existed because I remember going to the library and I had just landed from a flight. So I'm in my uniform and I go to the library to pick up a book. <laughs> and uh, there's this older gentleman that thought I was a valet car parker. And he's like, hey, can you bring my car around? And I'm like, 
Oh well, God. I can, but that's not, I mean, I'm sure I could do it, but that's not what I do. But yeah, I'll go, you know, and then what the, the reception is like, this is the guy, we don't have valet service here. So then, then I look like a criminal thinking the guy's thinking I'm going to steal his car. And I'm thinking, I'm just here to pick up my book to learn about investing. Like, I'm not bothering you, you know, but it, it's funny yeah. that the way things evolve now it's all online when, you know, I hate to say when I was a kid, when I was younger, you know, yeah. but audio, audio books are huge, right? When you're driving, commuting, uh, like a city like Houston. So. Yeah, that's how I take take in a lot of content. I, I'm with you, man. I'm I'm an audiobook fiend. I mean, every every chance I get, when someone says something, first thing I do is I'm on Audible. It's either in my phone or on my wish list for sure. Um, so when you when you started exactly. when you started learning about it, obviously you saw a lot of different strategies out there, and I know you do several different ones, but. What made you gravitate towards owning? Because owning was the first thing you did, right? You you found me and we chatted and, and I got you. What what got you to that and not the flipping, wholesaling, all that stuff? Uh, well, I wanted the, the monthly income, right? The passive income. People think flipping, it, it is real estate investing per se, but that's active income. I mean, the way you file out your taxes is different. So I wanted true passive income, something where I could leave for six months and be with my family in Europe or at home or whatever and know that money was showing up every month and so flipping is totally different than that so that's why i wanted rental properties and so um that that's how i kind of figured out and wholesaling as another thing that's a job in itself just like flipping so when you want to talk about real estate investing and passive income if you ask me rental properties whether it's commercial multifamily, or single family i mean that's that's passive income rental well, you know, it's funny because the true definition of a business is a commercial profitable enterprise that runs without you. So if you, if you mm. think of that just as a business, flipping is not a business in general. It can be a business if you have systems and structure around it. But in exactly. general, flipping is a job because as soon as you stop, so does the revenue and so does the income. So, so by exactly. definition, it's not a business. If you know, I, I know there are people that have businesses. Our buddies over at Senate House Buyers and, and other people, they yep. have it like a business, so, and that's that they're so, running it that way. Exactly. So, so you chose you chose the passive income, and then and then you and I talked, and then th- this is kind of where a lot of people either step up or step off, right? They kind of, they, they're a lot of people like to get in the data gathering mode when you're looking to buy a property, right? Yeah. I mean, you can bury yourself in data. If you're like me, you, I'm, I'm a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. Like I've figured it out once I own them all, which was part of the reasons I got into so much trouble owning bad properties. But you know, yeah. did you, were you in the analysis paralysis phase or did you just jump in after you and I talked? Yeah, I mean, I jumped in, I think, probably two months after we talked, maybe a month and a half. I yeah. bought our first property and, and closed, and it already had a tenant in place. It was kind of more of a turnkey deal, and we just put down 20%, so it was very intensive from a capital standpoint. And that's kind of where I had to pivot again right. and, and learn more. Yeah. So what were some of the lessons? Like if, if somebody was like you, right, 25 years old, they're just out of college, they're going, man, I, I like this real estate. Do you have any initial advice for them right now to go, hey, this is, you know, what I did and this was a mistake that I made and these were things that I learned from? Yeah, I mean, I like thinking in baseball terms. I think you want a nice single, you know, because I feel like if you hit a home run in your first deal, maybe that gives you false hope. And if you totally crash and burn in your first deal, maybe you'll give up. So I like trying to go after that first single. And so buying a turnkey, something I knew would rent out, something that, you know, was nice and simple. It was a 30 thousand dollars out of my pocket because it was 20 percent down so it was really expensive most 25 year olds might not have 30 grand 
Uh, and if that's not your case, maybe you can save towards it or, you know, that's why people wholesale towards it because there's hardly any capital involved with it. Um, so I like just shooting for an easy single. Well, uh, and you, you man, it's so funny you say that because I remember one time Pete was at a uh, uh, an auction uh, buying. It was like a I forget what kind of auction it was basically buying a, a house that was, you know, Rio'd. And um, yep. let's say the house was worth, I don't know, let, let's just say it was worth 100000 and we were buying it for like fifty five all in or something like that. And there was other people there telling Pete, like, you know, like, you're crazy. You're driving up the price. And Pete, you know, we're not into this auction thing, so we're not in that world. We're just, we're getting base hits, right? We're just, we're just trying to get decent deals as we're going. And so this guy's like, I would never, like, you're a fool. Like, I would never pay for that. And people's like, like thinking, well, maybe we're missing something, you know? And he says, well, what do you mean? He's, and the guy's like, you should be paying no more than 40 for that house. And he's like, well, why, how do you figure that out? He's like, and yeah, he had, this guy had the, all this algorithms and reasons why. And so we had already owned like 25 houses and we had owned apartment complexes. So, I mean, we're not afraid to pull the trigger. And Pete said, well, how many of those houses have you found like that? And the guy's like, well, none. <laughs> He says, okay, <laughs> and how long have you been doing this? And he's like, I've been at this for a year and a half. So Pete says, well, yeah. why? He goes, you got to, you got to, you know, like you got to take advantage of people to for this to work. And Pete's like, I don't agree. Like, why not just get a base hit? I've got these other properties. They're making money um, that we have some that, yeah, I agree. We probably shouldn't have purchased, but all in all, real estate doesn't work by taking advantage of other people. That's not, that's not the concept of it. And, you know, I think some people get so they, they get so caught up in the numbers of what they think it should be. Um, how did you stay away from that world? I mean, I definitely had my challenges. You know, everybody wants three or $400 of cash flow off your property, sure. you know, and I, I've come, you know, to realize, man, I'll, I'll take 200, you know, if it's a house that I, I think is a great house, you know, that has potential for some appreciation, tenants paying down the principal, you know, I'm getting the tax write-offs. I'm getting two hundred dollars of cash flow. So when you add all that up, it's like maybe I'm actually getting six hundred dollars of value a month out of this house, but only two hundred dollars of cash flow. And so you kind of have to change your mindset on how you're looking at things. And so you can't be so short-minded. Uh, you know, all those houses are going to give me two hundred, not three hundred dollars cash flow. I'm not going to buy it. And it's like, yeah, but it's in a great neighborhood. The city's doing developments. It might double in thirty years as you pay down the mortgage for thirty years. So I mean, that's amazing value. In a rental property. Well, and, and so. it's at, that's a good point. And this is something, you know, when I, I, you know, still I have people that come into our office and they'll talk to me and I, I always offer the same advice. You know, if you want to, if you want to talk to me, I'll, I'd be happy to wrap with you and give you my thoughts. Um, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just, it's a, I'm just giving you a way to look at things. And one of the things I try to tell people is that, you know, don't the, the, if you're just looking at the cash flow, that's like trying to have a stool, a five-legged stool stand on one leg. It's not going to happen, right? And so you have to have the other legs of the stool, and those other legs are strategies, and all of these strategies get you towards a goal. So the first question is, is where are we even going with this? And I think you and I even had that conversation. Like, what's the plan? Do you need this? Do you need a rental property to survive every day? Or do you need a rental property for your retirement, for your family? And most of the time it's the latter. Most of the time it's people like yeah. you, people like myself, we have careers or jobs or other income. And this is a supplement for not for today, but it's for down the road. And I say, okay, so you've got to always think about that as to why you are or are not buying something. And if cash flow is not important, why would you make that the determining factor in purchasing something? 
right? If if cash flow, if buying something is for the intrinsic value of, you know, I want it to be worth something in 20 years from now. Okay, well, that's not cash flow. How about the fact that a tenant is going to pay down that mortgage for you so that in 20 years, you have zero debt on that property? Okay, that's another piece that people don't think about. You have a W-2, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you get a tax deduction on your rental incomes because you are a W-2 wage earner. It's another benefit. Now, you you capture equity, and the biggest reason that people make money on real estate is the time factor of owning it over time. Like you said, you could have a property, do nothing with it, have a tenant in it, and despite every other reason, it is still going to go up in value. 30 years from now, I guarantee you it'll be worth more than what it is. I don't think you can say that yeah. with a stock. You can't guarantee that the company would even be in business in 30 years, right? I mean, we all know that's reality. Exactly. So when I talk to people, I, I had a guy come into my office, I'll never forget. I tell this story often because it, it's it's so prevalent in this, you know, the, the what people focus incorrectly on, in my opinion. And he had a property, it was in Midtown Houston, which was a nice area, it was a really good area. Yeah. Um, but he had a high mortgage on it. He lived in the house and he became a landlord. And then he was going off to do expat stuff. And he, he was leaving that night, actually. And he says, man, he goes, I'm, I'm losing, I want to talk to you because I'm not making money on this property. And I said, well, let's talk about it. And he said, well, you know, I'm losing like $250 a month on this. And I said, wow. I said, well, h- how do you quantify that? And he goes, well, my mortgage is this. I'm renting it for this. I'm losing 250 a month. I said, okay. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, have you factored in the other the other uh, parameters? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, all the only the only parameter is cash flow. And I said, well, that's not true. I said, I'll, I I'm I'm gonna bet that I can change your mindset by the time we leave. And he's like, you're on. And so we started talking. And I said, you have a tenant paying yep. down that debt for you. I said, if you go away for 20 years, that tenant you know, barring any challenges is going to pay that debt to zero. Number one. And he's like, yeah. I said, so you're going to have an asset that is going to be basically free and clear that someone is going to own on top of that. The next thing that you're going to have is you're going to have this properties in Midtown, which is a highly appreciating area. So in, in the middle of the United States, properties double in value every 12 to 15 years. You own this for 30 years. The house is worth, let's say 450 it being worth a million down the road is not no, unheard no. of in 30 years. And he's like, yeah. And I said, and you're an engineer and you get W-2, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you get to deduct this property. He's like, yeah. I said, so when you factor all the pieces of the puzzle, are you really losing money? I said, if down the road yeah. you make $600,000 because of this, but you lost 250, so you lost you lost 3,000 a year over the next 10 years. So you lost 30,000 a year, but you made 600,000. So now you made 530000 and did nothing, and you still have the asset. And he was like, basically, by the time he was done, he wanted to buy another one. He's like, I never looked at it that way. And I said, look, yeah, exactly. it, it, it's, just, it's just your perception of how you look at it. There's positive geared and there's negative geared properties. You happen to have a negative geared property. I said, could you buy that same property for the same amount today that you bought two years ago? And he says, no way. I said, that's going to tell you something. That right there is telling you the value of the piece of property you own. And he was like, man, I never thought about that. And so, again, it's just, you know, we're, we're, sometimes we are a reactionary 
uh, society and we react to what's in front of us. So if you said all of a sudden this month you go, man, I'm not making any money on my rental properties, you're going to think all of a sudden you're going to start self-doubting your goals yeah, of what I mean, you're doing. Let me liquidate the whole portfolio. Yeah, this, this. this isn't working. Where all of a sudden you go, you know what, what's the, what's the goal? What's the strategy? And look, we all do that. We, a lot of times we get reactionary and we look at things and based on the numbers in front of us, we're going, this isn't working. And, and you know, I mean, we're, we're coached by the business coach and a lot of times we look at stuff and we think of changing uh, our business model and stuff with, with Empire. And the one thing he'll ask us is he'll say, is it part of the plan? Is, is is you doing this, is it part of the plan of the goal? If it's not, then you either have to change the goal or don't do it. Because you gotta stick yeah, with the exactly. plan for the goal. So let, let's talk about let's talk about your goals. What what are your goals long term and, and how are you achieving those? Well, right now I'm thirty one. I would love if I was, you know, out of the corporate world, probably at forty would be a great goal for me. And right now we have seven rental properties. And so I'd love to have anywhere between 10 and 15 grand of cash flow. Right now, we only have one kid. So I'm like, well, if I quit my job and we start living off some of this rental income and cash flow, uh, do I need 15, 12, or 10? And a lot of that's dependent on kids. Um, so I'd love to have 20 paid off properties. And the reason I say 20 is right now we have seven, and you can have up to 10 Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loans. And so my wife works and I work so we could each have 20. And so that's kind of our goal right now is to get to 20 properties with uh, mortgages and then kind of snowballing the smallest mortgage paid off. And then that adds more cash flow to kind of snowball all the way to we have 20 paid off houses. You know, I've done the math and whether it's 200 uh, cash flow or, you know, 450, depending on the houses we buy, I should get between 10 and 12 grand probably when all that's done. Yeah. And so hopefully at 40, I can quit. And then from then on, there's a lot of other things I might want to do outside of real estate, but back to that definition of what's wealth to me, right? I'm 31. So our kids should be nine, six and five by then and i can spend more time with them we can travel a whole lot more maybe do some other businesses uh now that my time's freed up so let, let's talk about this for a second what how do you well, well i've got a, i've got a question about family life balance but first let me ask you this from the time you pulled the trigger and bought house number one to the time that you are now at house number seven pushing to number eight you've had some mental mindset shifts correct would you agree with that oh, yeah. Very much so, absolutely. So what were your fears on house one compared to your fears on house seven? Or concerns, we'll say. Uh, well, I mean, first off, like, can I do this? You know, I, do I have it within myself to actually do this? Am I capable uh, of this? And that's where some of the information does help, uh, you know, over, overcome some of these hurdles. Mentors like yourself, and I have some other ones, so... You know, information gathering, mentors kind of helps you get over that step to make the first one. And, and having a successful first rental property made me feel confident to do the second one. Now that's when, and when I, my mindset started changing, it's like, man, if I if I spend 30 grand every house, it's going to take me 15 years to get to 20 houses. So that's when I started learning more about, you know, private money, uh, buying houses that need to be rehabbed and, you know, forced depreciation and cash out refinances and reusing the money and stuff like that. And so that that kind of took effect from from two to seven. And, and even right now, seven beyond, I, I've learned a little things between two and seven. Obviously, these homes that need rehabs are older homes. They've been mistreated, very distressed. And um, so my first house was, you know, a, a newer build, 2003, 2004. A lot of the rehabs we've done are, you know, 50s and 60s, early 70s. 
And so even now I'm thinking I really enjoyed uh, how nicer the new house was and the tenant stability has been a lot better because the rents are a lot higher. And I'm sure most landlords know the higher the rent, more typically the stable the tenant is and better they take care of the property. So I'm still figuring out what's that balance, you know, the right product, the right tenant, the right rents. Uh, and so that's something that I'm working through right now uh, from seven and beyond. So, so like, you kind of journey through all that. Yeah. And, and it's tough because, and, and look, we, we've done the same thing. All of a sudden you want to accelerate the growth. And sometimes we think accelerating the growth is buying more. Um, and, and the only way you can buy more is by decreasing the value. And, and that's not always the case. And, and we, Pete and I learned that lesson exactly. very hard when we had a bunch of low income houses because we were able to buy more. And on paper, the volume and the numbers made sense. But the reality was, is there was other factors that we never took into account that that were really extremely prevalent to us once we owned them. And, you know, it's one of those things that if it seems too good to be true, a lot of times it is, is what I've learned, you know, and it's like, it's one of those things. And exactly. I, I remember being told one time, the two reasons why most people fail is laziness and greed. And I thought, I never really understood what that meant. But when I bought a bunch of these low end houses, we were being greedy. The numbers made yeah. sense. And we were, in essence, I would say we were even being lazy because we didn't want to do the proper due diligence. We didn't want to wait. We wanted to hurry yeah, up. And so, you know, and, and then and that that opens up a whole other set of challenges. Like you said, you have a, you know, people don't realize you get this deal on this property. You get all these, you know, everyone and their brother's a wholesaler, right? Everybody's got a great deal. You get this deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge a lot of investors have is, there's so much focus on the front end of buying a property, right? Everybody does their due diligence. There's all the wholesalers and flippers, and they're they're giving you all these numbers and percentages, and that's all well and good, but that is almost irrelevant and can be wiped out if you buy the wrong property and don't have the strategy to get the return out of it for the next 20 years. And a lot of people, and I, and again, I was one of them that – I bought all these properties and never had a strategy to go, how am I going to run these properties? Because they don't just happen to magically run themselves because it's a people business. And when you're in a low income area or you have a property that has issues, you have more intensive people challenges and yes. that equates to your bank account, right? And so you have exactly. now, and, and people like you and people like me, I didn't want to be, and, and let me just stress that. There's nothing wrong with low income houses. I just did not have the right business model wrapped around them because exactly. I realized that I did not want to be a hands-on landlord. I wanted to have my career. I wanted to do this. I you know, an empire as people know was not created because we wanted to. It's created because nobody would manage our crappy houses is is what started it. Um but you know, the the lessons we learned were that you have to have the right business model. The people that we sold those houses to were very successful. Some of them, some of them were like us and failed. Other ones were very successful because they already had a business model that was more hands-on. They were more involved and wanting to be involved. That's just not something we wanted to do. And all of a sudden you realize like, there's a reason that this was a deal. And, and, you know, and again, I think the, the biggest mistake I think people have is that they buy a property, they focus on the front end. And I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying in general that they focus yeah. so much on the front end, but they don't think about how am I going to run the business 
You know, because you're buying four walls and a roof is what you're buying. You're not buying a successful yeah. business. You know, we all and know. Yeah, and you're buying some dirt. Exactly. We all. I, I know many people that have bought great deals and run them right into the ground because they didn't have the proper business model. And they have every reason why it failed except for the fact that they didn't do any of their own homework to create the proper business model to structure it. And, and uh, you know, I mean, we, we look, you, you probably have picked up a couple properties from people that had that challenge, you know, and then they just said, you know what, exactly. I'm out. And and that's why, you know, you and I talking in the in the beginning, I thought it was so vital because I think it's I think it's lacking in this industry. I, I don't think that there's I think people always want to have your hand in your pocket because you've got a job and, and their job is to basically profit off of you selling a house and, and look there's some great guys the senna house buyer guys all those they oh, run a, absolutely they run a great business but there's other people that are just trying to take advantage of your greed basically i think it's at some level so yeah i love that quote about greed and laziness i think i, I can relate to the greed and, and there's kind of a high too you do a deal you get somebody in it and you cash out the refi at six months and you next house and boom 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 uh you know yeah. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about, have you had any wake up moments, failures that you didn't expect coming around that just kind of punched you in the face that you're like, man, I, I did not see that coming in this deal or in this scenario. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I, I definitely with the rehabs, I'm like, let's do above and beyond that way. You can just be out of sight, out of mind and not worry about it. Simple things like, should we update the plumbing? It doesn't seem like a huge issue right now. Uh, I've had to move a tenant out of house for three days because of that. Um, and then I've also had, uh, just trying to think of some other things around rehab, but that's just some of the rehab stuff. Uh, I did self-manage for the first three properties, I guess. And after that, I was like, Oh, I don't like getting texts on the weekend or phone calls on the weekend. And that's when you and I had another conversation about handing over management to a third party company that I trust like, uh, empire. Um, I think Harvey hit Houston hard. It, it kind of, you know, you, 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 you see who has their trousers on when the shore goes out, the tide goes out, I guess. And that's when I realized I didn't have enough reserves in the business, Harvey kind of wiped out the reserves. And so the last year I've really been trying to build up those reserves and that's kind of how I started flipping actually is trying to build up some reserves. Uh, Just for su- survival, right? You did it as a survival tactic to go, I need quick cash. I call it quick cash. It's yeah. not, it's not quick by any yeah. means, you know, but it's, you know, yeah. Well, I was just like, man, if I had a bunch of turnover or another Harvey came, like it's really, really, really going to hurt. Harvey hurt, but you know, we made it through. We're smart with our money. We have cash. We had some money saved for our reserves and repairs and vacancies and stuff, but Harvey wiped that down to zero. And so I'm like, man, if another Harvey came, thankfully he didn't this August, but we would have been in so much trouble uh, if we hadn't built up those reserves. So when you're growing fast, you're like, okay, I'm putting away, you know, whatever it is, 250 or, or, or something like that a month, whatever your calculation is to, for your repairs and reserves and vacancies. But it takes a while, right? That's only you know three grand in a year for that house. So if the, if you have a tenant that stays in there three or four years, well, yeah, now you got six or eight grand for that property. But if tenant leaves after the first year and then a RV comes in the middle of that second year, the reserves for that property are wiped out. So 
Well, uh, and, I'm it, trying to yeah. be, be more conservative and building up reserves right now. So, what, do you have a do you have a percentage? Like, if you were to give someone advice, do you have a certain percentage you're going? Hey, you know, X. Because I, I would tell people, the older the house, the bigger reserve needs to be, because you're going to have more challenges. Yeah. And, and so, people don't. It's not a. It, people go like, oh, what is your what is your ratios? I'm like, what does that? Mean? I don't even know what that means. They're like, what are your standard ratios? I'm like, there is no standard because it depends. If I'm buying a house built in the 40s, that's a different than a house yeah. built in 2018. You know. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I try to do the 50% rule, rent minus the debt service, and then half of that goes towards, you know, repairs, maintenance, vacancies, et cetera. And the other half you can count as cash flow. And, and, and some properties you have HOAs on, so, you know, that changes the number some. That's yeah. kind of a standard thing you can read on bigger pockets. But just from a numerical standpoint, you know, I always try to buy in the same price range. Like all, the ARV on most of my houses when I'm done are between 130 and 155. So I try to keep about 250 bucks a month from each house and, and mm -hmm. reserves. And so um, the thing is, though, is that turnover. If that tenant stays in the house four years, then you have plenty. But if you have turnover every year with that house, then maybe 250 isn't enough. So yeah. you want to you want to find properties that you know people are going to want to stay here long term. So the quality of the product, you know, determines the quality of the tenant. And so uh, that's a lesson I'm continuing to learn right now. Well, and again, it goes, you know, the, I tell people all the time, you know, there's no crystal ball in this industry, right? You, you, I can't, you know, exactly. I tell people I can't, we can like, as a management company, we can try our best to mitigate as many losses as we can through systems and structure. That does not mean that that tenant is not going to get downsized tomorrow and leave or, or divorce their family. They're, we just or like illness, yeah. right. Just like I, I tell people, I can guarantee that if you can guarantee me that I will not get a flat with my car that, for the whole next year, you can't, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, and, and no, that's, not at all. You know, and, and one of the things I, and using the car analogy, I try to tell people, it's kind of like having a car and not expecting to get the oil changed, not expecting to have to rotate and change your tires, and not expecting that you ever have to put gas in it. You're going, wait a second, I own a car, I'm making my car payment. You know, I got a chip in my window. I shouldn't have to pay for that. I shouldn't have to put gas in it. But for a car, they realize that. And I think that the problem is when you own a rental property, people don't think about those things because all they look, the greed, right? We all look at the greed and the greed is $400 cash flow. I should be getting. And if you don't get that 400, all of a sudden, if let's say you're at a hundred or you're, you're get zero for a couple months because you have a maintenance issue. You don't look at that as thinking man, well, I'm getting a capital improvement. I'm improving my property, which is improving the value. And you know what? Down the road, when I sell this on year 30, it's going to be worth a lot more money because I'm putting investing into it. We, and look, I, I'm, exactly. I've been in the same boat. All of a sudden it's like two months, three months. I'm going, shit, man, this thing's not pushing out any money. What's the, why, why am I losing money? Right. That's, that's our first thought. And our egos try to tell us that we should be making money in this because you hear all these other people that make money in real estate, but the true wealthy people make their money over long term. They don't. They don't even yeah, factor in exactly. It's the equity. So, yeah. Let me ask you this, Jonathan. So you were engaged. Now you are married, and now you you, you have uh, a family. How, how do you yeah. balance that with with your wife and 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 the little one now? I mean, it's definitely hard. I think you outsource as much as you can. A lot of people talk about what's the value of your time per hour. You know, I mean, $100 an hour, $500 an hour. That's why I'm not going to go visit one of my properties on a Saturday and cut the grass with a lawnmower and haul it out there. You know, so you work with third party management companies like Empire and you find great wholesalers like Sina. Hey, they're out there looking for deals. I'm good with 200 bucks of cash flow in this house. I'm playing the long term game. 
So, you know, the more things I brought into my plate being marriage, parenthood, the more things that just delegate out and, and, you know, the things I enjoy about real estate investing is, you know, uh, managing the, the finances, you know, of, of like, all right, I have seven houses making this much cash flow. My mortgages are automated. My reserves and savings are automated and kind of working on my business and not in my business. So, you know, the, the more that I add to my plate, the, the, the less I work in my business and the less I need to when you have the right people that you're working with. And so uh, my weekends, I'm not doing anything around rental property investing. I'm hanging out with my daughter, spending time with my wife, uh, you know, spend time with friends and, and and obviously Monday through Friday I have my corporate job. So I'm, I'm doing that. And, you know, I'll take time during lunch to check out some emails or do something like this. And uh, maybe, you know, 30 minutes, or 45 minutes when I get home, I might look at some properties that some wholesalers have emailed and stuff like that. And, you know, and when you get better at analyzing the deal, I can analyze the deal in like three minutes, probably five minutes, you know, uh, you get faster at those things. So you're not spending four hours looking at a deal, whether you should do it or not. So. So it's funny, you hit on a couple of things that, that I just want to touch on. A lot of people need to learn yeah. is the first thing is, is, you know, the value of time, right? And leverage. And I think a lot of us, we understand the concept of leveraging people, meaning you get, you get people like Senna, you get these other wholesalers, you know, New Western, there's all these other companies, get a realtor, yep. you know, I mean, we look, we have a full brokerage, right? We, we have realtors that work for us and they, they are constantly finding deals for investors. So they understand the concept of using leverage when it comes to people. And when it comes to leveraging money, look, you're not paying these houses cash. You're leveraging, you're getting a loan, like you said, 20% down, and you are leveraging 80% of the money. Smart. The biggest challenge people have is understanding what the leverage of time is. And they don't value their they don't put a value on their own time. They think that's the one thing that they can waste. And what's funny is you can always get more people and you can always get more money. The one thing that you can never get more of is your time. And that's the one thing that people waste the most of. They waste their time. And a lot of that goes into the mindset of how do they value your time, number one. And number two, <clears throat> The mindset of a landlord versus the mindset of an investor. So the landlord is the guy who wants to run around. They want to mow the lawns on the weekends. They want to check the roof. They want to uh, collect the rent. They want to do it all. And it's more of a ego Superman-itis um, than it is anything else. <clears throat> that's how they prove that they're an investor because maybe that's how they were taught. And that's how they equate to being successful because they are running around doing those things. And, it, and, and yeah. probably there's a variation of that from not doing anything to, to doing all of it. And depending on what type of profile, personality profile you have, that you think you can do it better than anyone else. Get out of my way. You can't collect the rent the way I can collect the rent, whatever the case may be. But then the other side of the spectrum is the investor side. And that, that's what I put you in. I put you in the investor mindset because the investor can sit at his desk he can look at a deal, close a deal, find more deals, get loans, and never leave his desk. And that is because they have a team, and the team is doing things for them. So they have investors, they have a, a realtor or a wholesaler finding them deals. You look at the deals, you know what, the numbers make sense, let's lock it up under contract. Empire, um, yep. does this make sense? And we go, yeah, makes sense, looks like a good deal, I'd move forward. That's the team. Then they go, okay, I'm going to get an appraisal. Let's get an appraisal. Let's get it inspected. Let's get the mortgage. You've never left your desk. And how many exactly. of those deals, you're using your pen. The pen is what is making making you money, right? Not your time. And then you go home and your wife says, how was your day? And you're like, great, I closed. I got a deal today. And you exactly. never left your that's office, it. right? And, and that's the, that's that's the mindset it. change that I think a lot of us, 
you know, yeah, we, I, I even had my, I even had my, I have my contractor go look at the house. I'm like, Hey, what do you estimate rehab to be? And, you know, 30 grand. I'm like, all right, sounds great. And we yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. I'll, I'll go see it after it's rehabbed. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny because you, you, you understand the, the value of leveraging people and leveraging your time. And you're sitting there saying, you know what? I have trusted people that I trust to give me advice. And if you don't have people you trust, then you have the wrong people around you. You're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. If you tell me I can't go do this thing because I, I've got to go see the house. Like I've had investors from other states tell me, yeah, I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to fly out to Houston or Dallas or wherever we're operating in. And they say, I'm going to fly out and I'm going to take a look at it. And I say, oh, okay, no problem. I'm like, are you an inspector? No. I'm like, well, are you a, a builder? No. Appraiser? No. I'm like, what value do you have coming to look at four walls and a roof? He's like, well, I just want to see yeah. it. I'm like, you can drive down the street and see four walls and a roof all day long, but that's not, that's not what's going to make you succeed or fail. It's the business model going in. If you said to me, I'd rather, Steve, I'd rather see your business plan. I'd like to know what your vacancy days are. I'd like to see what your make ready business is. What are your, your eviction rate? That's looking at the business model that's going to make you successful. The four walls and a roof is not going to make you successful. That's just going to tell you, and a report's going to tell you that. I mean, I, I, see, I see inspection reports all the time. I'm like, yeah, pretty much looks like a house, you know, and that's yeah. what it's given me, it right? It needs a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It needs a lot of work. Okay, and then, and then my next question is, is okay, what's it going to cost? Does it, does it mathematically, look, you're, you're a numbers guy. Does it mathematically make sense for me to continue or not to continue with that? And that's, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. So now you have time for your family. Now, is your wife, is she involved in the real estate side or what does she do with it? Yeah. So uh, my wife actually, once we started doing this, she was at an oil and gas company and we were talking about, you know, having kids at some point and her not wanting to be at an eight to five all day. So she got her license and she works for a, a luxury broker here in Houston called Greenwood Kings. And so, uh, she's doing really well. So a lot of the money she makes on our commission, we used to buy more properties. So and we try to live off my, my W2 income, try to increase some of that. Um, but she's the one who can float around like, Hey, can you go meet somebody? Hey, can you go look at this? And sometimes I won't go look at a rehab when it's done. I'm like, Hey, can you go out there? Cause she's, you know, has a lot more flexible schedule than I do. And so we take advantage of, of her flexible schedule more than anything. Nice. So do you guys have like, when you're looking at a deal, do you have some kind of criteria slash checklist slash, you know, per, like uh, non-negotiables that, Hey, you know what, this is, this is a no go or how, how do you guys run that? Uh, I, you know, I really don't have a no go as far as the rehab. I mean, if I can buy the right product and what I mean by, you know, I'm not going to buy a, a two bedroom house. That, that's a no go for me. Uh, I'm not going to buy something on, on pure and beam. That's a no go for me. I'm not going to buy anything later than you know 1950s i'm not gonna buy a 30s or 40s house that's a no-go in me so if it meets all these criteria then I, I mean if the house needs 60 grand to work and i can buy it at the right price i don't care if it needs 60 grand to work so the, the house that i was actually zero money out of pocket was the biggest rehab i've ever done it was like 50 grand or something like that on a rental and we cashed out got it appraised and i was zero dollars out of pocket wow that's so a, that's not, awesome I'm, that was the only one, but I had to do seven, you know, actually I've done eight because we've sold some rentals, uh, you know, eight or nine we've had at one point, um, you know, Harvey took one out. So we just kind of unloaded it. But anyway, it took me eight or nine rental properties and rehabs to get one to where it's actually zero out of pocket, you know, and I guess that's the home run of the triple or whatever. So, I mean, we hit singles all day and then the home runs show up, I guess. And, and would you, would you say that you would never have found that home run had you not swung at those singles and connected on some of those singles? Exactly. Totally agree. 
So it's and and that's that's the point. Everybody wants to be the superstar. They want to be LeBron, right? But nobody wants yep. to be the the assist for LeBron, right? Nobody wants to be that yeah. helper, you know. And that's the thing. It's like everybody everybody wants to. You only hear about the guys that are uber successful, right? You don't hear about the guys that are the offsets, you know. And and those offsets are the ones that actually make you wealthy. It's not the not everybody has these home runs like you may be led to believe. You know, I, I love all these these meetups and these people that you see on Facebook, and they're you know they're they're Facebook rich, they're Facebook wealthy, and you're like, and then you talk to them, and they're the most depressing people. And you're like, yeah. that's that's you like that, that. You're the same person. And it's it's not reality. And I think that that's a, a disservice for, for people like you, people like me that are actually out there working, trying to find solutions, trying to figure this out and, and, and can't. Exactly. So let's talk exactly. about let's talk about moving forward. What, what is your plan? What is the strategy to get you to those 20 doors? You're 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 basically almost halfway there. Right. Is that the plan? You want to get to 20. So what's the plan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been fortunate to have a W-2. And like I said, my wife has income as well. So we've gotten some personal lines of credit opened up through some building relationships with bankers in Houston. And I've built some relationships with friends of ours to, to say, hey, you want to invest in this deal with us and raise some private capital. So I have the capital means now. And so and now I have the systems and, and processes with Empire and other things like that. Um, but the thing is, when you cash out, you know, you might be out, you know, because the house might appraise for 100. Well, I bought it for 70 and I put in 10. So I'm 80 in and appraised for 100. Well, when you cash out, you only get 75% loan to value. So it's like, well, I'm out five grand. And so I've learned that if I buy nicer houses, which I want to do, I'll be out more money personally. And so I'm okay with that. I'll be out 10 or 15 grand. It's still better than $30,000 down payment, correct? 15,000, yep. I'll take it over 30 any day. So I'm going to be uh, buying houses where I'm out of pocket more, but the house I'm buying is going to be of greater quality and hopefully attract greater tenants and hopefully have better long-term appreciation. So that's what I want to do from 8 to 20 is kind of what I'm trying to execute on. Okay, so how, how how do you see that happening? Like, what do you what steps are you doing? Because wanting to do it and actually putting the plan in motion are, are two different things sometimes, right? So what what are the steps that you're doing to get to that? you got 12 to go, right, basically? Exactly. Well, right now, like I said, I'm building up my reserves. We're almost there. And if I'm going to be out 15 grand, then I need to have 15 grand set aside to do that deal on a nicer home. And so I'm building up that 15 grand of savings. And then I have, you know, agents, wholesalers sending me certain things. I have, you know, we use HAR here in Houston. I have my searches set up. And so I get deals every day. And so when I see the ones that I'm like, oh, that one's a little newer, that one's going to get $1,600 of rent. You know, something more than 14 or 15 is kind of what my hopeful criteria is going forward. That's what I'm going to execute on. And you always need something with a little bit of rehab. Um, so, yeah. So let me ask you this. What of what is the date that that's going to happen by? So you got to buy 12 houses. Do you have a date? Uh, like I said, I mean, by 40 is when I want to have them all paid off. I mean, it'll take six or seven years to pay them all off. So I want to be at 20 houses by at least 34 you know, I'm 31. So in the next three years, so we'll, we'll say December of 2022. All right, cool. <laughs> 2021. Yeah. Well, and you know, what happens a lot of times is, is we come up with these big long-term goals and then we short the short-term goals. And, and a lot of times they don't, they don't match up, right? All of a sudden you're going, shit, man, I got, I got to buy 12 houses in, in three years. That means I got to buy, you know, four a year. 
I got to get on this. That means I got to start looking at some serious properties, right? And that's that's the biggest challenge I think we all have when we're looking at buying deals and we're looking at a goal. A lot we may have very lofty long-term goals, but the short-term goals don't align. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we have with getting these long-term short-term goals of making sure that you know you, they're able to that they're able to happen and they're able to be scalable because a lot of times they're not scalable and they don't happen and the reason they don't happen is because they're not strategized out your your video shut off for some reason Jonathan you still there I'm not sure if we lost Jonathan so one of the things that that I have learned from talking to Jonathan and talking to other people is that a lot of times the goals that we set for ourselves are not realistic and I think the biggest problem we have is, number one, we don't set goals. And number two, we don't set a exit strategy. And I think those two things are so important when you're trying to be successful in this. You need to factor that into your business model. And you need to realistically look at, can I achieve this goal in the amount of time that I have? And goal setting, I think is, you know, I think the word goals is is great. And I thought I think a lot of people use that word, but I don't think they use it correctly. I don't think they use the goals the way that they should be used because they use it as a word and it's not something that's tangible because it's something far off. And I think they say 98% of the people out there don't write down their goals. But the 2% of the people that are the most successful are the ones that actually write their goals down. So is it coincidence? I don't know. Um, but for the people out there, I would say you need to write your goals. Even if they make you, if they don't make you uncomfortable and they don't give you that pit of the stomach feeling of being uncomfortable, your goals are probably not high enough. So if you want to buy 10 properties, you may say you want to buy 40. And maybe you settle somewhere at 25 or 23, but it's more than the 10. And a lot of people underestimate what they can do because they don't want to look stupid and they don't want to set themselves up for failure, but yet their long-term goals are already set up for failure because they say, I want to retire at 50 years old, but they have no strategy to get to that 50-year-old goal. And because they don't, they never achieve it. And at about 47, 48, they start frantically working to get to that end goal of trying to get there, but they didn't do anything from the year 30 to 47. They just worked their life and they have that one day on their calendar that they put everything on that never seems to happen, and that's someday. Someday never happens, but yet they always think that they're going to get there on the someday world. And that's the one thing that I would say that people need to realize. So it looks like Jonathan might have dropped off. Maybe his phone died. I'm not sure. But um, if you want to talk to us at Empire or you want to go to self-manage my property, Either way, you've got to learn to educate yourself. That's what this show is about. You go to selfmanagemyproperty.com, get on there, go to our Facebook group, the Landlord Survival Group on Facebook. We have a ton of investors on there. All they do, we only want investors. You're not going to sell anything because I'm just going to delete you. You're not going to offer any services because I'm going to take you off. I just want investors to get on there and learn about how they can become more successful by investing, whether it's flipping, wholesaling, it doesn't matter. These are all strategies. A lot of people look at the idea of being a flipper, being a wholesaler, being a buy and hold, they think that's the goal. And that's actually not the goal. That is a strategy to get you to that goal. And that's where a lot of people make the mistake 
of not understanding definitions and not understanding terms. So I would suggest that before you even get involved in investing, which to me goes against my grain because I do everything ready, shoot, aim, um, before you even get involved in investing, you've got to understand and define what your goals are. Once you know what your goals are, once you know what your strategy is going to be, that is when you can go ahead and start purchasing properties that align with your goals or flipping properties or wholesaling or whether it's partnering with people in apartment complexes. It doesn't matter as long as you know that what you're doing aligns with your goal. So if you go to our website, selfmanagemyproperty.com, you go on there. I've got the Landlord Survival Handbook. You can buy that. You can download it. Um, I think I have seven ebooks on there that you can learn and educate yourself. And obviously, if you go to our empireindustriesllc.com, I would suggest you go to our blog page. Because if you go onto our blog page, you're going to see about two to 300 video blogs of me uh, talking about how you can fix some problems with your rental property. Why do I always get shitty tenants? What is a make ready? Why do vendors keep ripping me off? How do I know my house is not being used as a meth lab? These are all things that you as an investor need to learn And if you have not been made aware of these or you have not encountered these, the odds of you knowing how to fix them are slim to none. And I always explain to people that there's no reason that you have to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. What you do need to do is you need to educate yourself. You need to align yourself with the people that have done this, people that are successful, people like us at Empire. There's other people out there, not just us, but there's many people out there that you can talk to, that you can learn from, and you can educate yourself from so that as you're going through these challenges, you've already had a first look at it, right? You've already seen it once. You kind of have an idea this is coming. So go to our website, empireindustriesllc.com. You can give us a call. We do a free wealth building strategy session to make sure that you are on the track to being successful. And that really is the most important thing you need to know. You need to realize that what you're doing aligns with your path and aligns with your goal. Give us a call, 888-866-6727. Also, go to our Facebook group, Empire Industries LLC, and go to our our Facebook group for the Landlord Survival Show. Again, these are all ways that you need to educate yourself before. Jonathan was a great example. Jonathan came in. He sat down with me. We talked for several hours. He was telling me what his concerns were, what his challenges were. I told him how to fix it. I told him how I would fix it, and it worked. And the guy now has seven properties. He's pushing his way to 20. And that is what we want to do. And that is the reason we created this show, The Landlord Survival Show. So, you know, please go to iTunes. You can download it on iTunes. Please refer a friend. I want to thank Jonathan for being on the show. And we will see you next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. This has been The Landlord Survival Show. Join us next time for more of what the gurus don't tell you about owning rentals. And for even more, find us on Facebook. Brought to you by Empire Industries Property Management. Built for investors by investors. For more information about this show, visit our website, selfmanagemyproperty.com, home of the ultimate landlord survival handbook.